count to three. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of... Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. You have found Daniel Donato's Lost Highway. That lost highway. Howdy, y'all. I do not want to start off this intro dialogue with a standard question. These are not standard times. I'm not going to start off with, how are you doing? How are you feeling? There's no rule book to process on, on how to feel right now. There's no rule book on how to socially interact with other people. There's no rule book on how to financially prepare for what has happened and what will continue to happen. So no standard questions here for on standard times. I want to just offer up this idea that has been lingering around in my mind for the past week or so. Um, right before the Cosmic Country tour was postponed, just as uh, everyone else's tour and uh, life has been, someone came up to me after the show was over and they thanked me. And I love a good thank you. I love giving a good thank you as well. Thank yous are important. Thank you for realizing the potential that you had and for realizing your vision being able to attain the skill and then share it with us. No one's actually ever thanked me in detail before for doing a good job. Now is a time, more than ever, where I feel like it would be a wise idea for us to thank ourselves for the good jobs that we've done and for the good jobs that we can continue to do, the potential and character achievement that we can absolutely, in a genuine way, aspire to and attain. And I'm in no way trying to come off in a, in a braggadocious manner by sharing the details of a compliment that somebody gave me, but it was such a potent thank you and a notion that it came to me in this weird window, this weird chapter that we're in now, and the truth of it being that it is simply okay and it also makes sense. It's a good strategy to allow yourself to thank yourself, give yourself the pound on the back for doing a good job that you've done, and to understand the potential that you can still fulfill in this window of uncertainty. Great quote. Don't know who said it. Google it. But it was the idea. It's uh, let's not let a good, a good disaster go to waste. So, not to sound like a Snapple bottle. Although I miss when Snapple bottles were glass. Sorry, environment. My next guest, Steve Poltz, is one of the most talented and realized, fulfilled artists, performers, and writers that I've ever come in touch with and have the privilege to have seen. He's released 13 records. He co-wrote the song, You Were Meant For Me, by Jewel that sold over 15 million copies. He does hundreds of social years. He's Canadian. And I've seen him on several occasions take over rooms with multiple thousands of people in them with just him and his acoustic guitar. He has inflections of Robin Williams, Henry Rollins, Bob Dylan, sources of comedy, his Catholic school upbringing, and he also incorporates Siri somehow into his show. It's, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. Our conversation that we had was around 82 minutes long. He was eating a kale salad the whole time, but you couldn't tell until I mentioned it. Everything leads to the next one idea leads to another story, which leads to another life maxim that you can carry around and keep with you for the long run. I cannot recommend enough 
to look into Steve Pulse if you haven't already. And I hope that this interview turns you on to him because he is a turned on fella. Here we go. The judge is in. The well, judge is in session. <laughs> so we're eating, we're eating a kale salad and we're in this room that <laughs> is really thoughtfully laid out. I was wondering what your house was going to be like because when I, when I see someone connect with me on stage or something, I always wonder, well, surely if you're that thoughtful with your connection with an audience, you're that thoughtful with what you're going to wear, you're that thoughtful with how you speak to people, what does your house right. look like? And it looks like... I am thoughtful and stop calling me Shirley. <laughs> I thought that was your real name. <laughs> Wait, it looks like what? Continue with your thoughts. It just looks real, looks organic, and it looks like the sounds that you put out, this house. Mm. It all seems to tie together in well, a nice Willy Wonka way. Sharon helps me. I'm not, I can't take credit for a lot of stuff. Sharon, every, behind every wow. successful person is somebody who really helps them you know that is kind of out of the scenes and sharon helps me a lot right because she goes on tour with you she does that whole thing i'm sleeping with my tour manager whoa she could sue me for harassment whoa <laughs> where would you get all the hair that's right <laughs> <laughs> and you so yeah um i just tour nonstop, but she travels with me and um how long has that been happening She's been on the road with me about four or five years now. That's a long time. And you mm -hmm. guys been together that long? We've been together 15 years. Whoa. Which is a long time. Were you ever married? No, but we're probably going to get married this year. We're engaged finally. It was wow. a 15-year courtship. How'd that happen? The courtship? Sharon was playing bass in a punk rock band called CLA, which stood for Carnivorous Lunar Activity. I don't know if you'd call it punk rock, but very indie kind of smart ass I like and that. she played bass in that band whoa do you remember what kind of bass a fender well, p-bass that's, cool. that's perfect yeah fitting so she played bass and the lead singer not to bring a dull thud to this conversation but wow. he was murdered and he was my best one of my best friends in the world and he so we had to have a we didn't have to we had a Victims of Violent Crime Benefit Show. And so I learned all his songs and she was in the band. Oh, wow. And so I played his part and that's how Sharon and I kind of first started getting to know each other. Wow. And she owned a hair salon and then I would go in there and get my hair cut. And that's she had this great hair salon. She's amazing. Like she, she's retired from the business, but she was written up in Elle magazine. She would travel to Paris to learn balayage, like mm -hmm. hair coloring. I never got my hair colored, but she would cut it. And she would always use a straight razor, and it was like art to her. Like the way you use a straight razor is a skill. Of course. Not unlike that of anything you'd learn playing mandolin or guitar or anything. Mm -hmm. And to watch her work is poetic. And so she had all these clients, and they would mm. pay good money to have her cut hair, and she mm. walked away from it all. Why is that? Well, um... I had had a stroke. You had a stroke. Yeah. And so I was on stage and I was in Wilmington, Delaware, and I lost my vision and went blind on stage. And solo? So, solo. Yeah, all my gigs are solo. I used to be in a band, the Rugburns. I remember a funny story about the Rugburns. Oh, what is it? I want to hear it. I don't want to digress too much and I don't want to botch the story, but oh, something about a drummer. 
Something Stinky. About Stinky the drummer. Mm-hmm. What was it? Something about you guys getting out and fighting. Oh, my God. Well, <laughs> me and Stinky were like brothers. You know when you're in a band, you share everything. You do. And especially when you're in kind of a punky indie band on a low budget and you're crashing on people's floors. In a van, yeah. In an old van that stinks, you know. Oh. And you're, you're brothers, basically. And there was this one time... I was driving down the road and we got in an argument and it was about money, which happens. You know, what causes arguments? What causes ego problems? Everything. Usually money or a lot of times that's what happens with people. Oh, wow. I, I mean, if you look at most falling outs people have, yeah, a lot of times it's geared around money. Well, something happens where somebody feels slighted. Right. Lack of communication. And right. It gets the hair on the back of their neck to stand up. And unless you really step back and think, you know, what is my part in this? What is their part? Mm -hmm. And let cooler heads prevail. A lot of times when caught up in the moment, things can happen and sparks can fly. So with us, I don't really know what it was about, but there was a journalist traveling with us. And he was doing a story on the rug burns. And he said he was going to travel with us all night and ride in our van to see what it was like. That's insane. And we were a hard drinking band. Like, there's a reason I don't drink anymore. And we would, we drank a lot. What were you drinking? We, I would always drink whiskey. But back in that day, back in the days of traveling, I, we would drink Jim Beam because Stinky liked Jim Beam. And then we would drink, and we would call it, it, I'd get in a whiskey orbit. And so I always needed cocaine to sort of help me through the whiskey orbit because I would get kind of drunk, but cocaine, um, it, I don't know if you've ever done coke, so I don't know. Have not. Okay, if you ever had, you would know. You do a line. Paint and it, it for me, though. It instantly wakes you up. So, like, you look at this cocaine. Like, there's like this whole. There's a reason I don't drink anymore. I do drugs. You've been and fifteen what it is, years sober. Fifteen years sober. I mean, I'll be sixty in February. So, wow. but like, I would get drunk, and I would think, man. You know what would go good with this? A line of Coke. The same way some people think having a cigarette with a beer is a good idea. Ooh, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Cocaine and alcohol for me were like match made in heaven. So I would never do cocaine if I hadn't drank. I would never want it. I wouldn't want the feeling of that powder going up my nose. But when drunk, it instantly gives you a shock to the system and makes you feel awake, mm. not as drunk as you were, and very amorous you want to hug all your friends you start saying things man remember when we were in sixth grade oh, oh man i God. love you you know what we should do and you come up with these grandiose ideas i call them cocaine ideas like you know what we're gonna do tomorrow we're gonna wake up and we're gonna build someone a house like just like over the top ideas first let's drive to mexico tonight because we were living <laughs> in san diego we'll cross the border then we're gonna find a family and we're gonna build them a house like, you just get these ideas <laughs> that are just ludicrous. But, like, your heart was seated in a good place because you're wanting to do positive things. Right. It can be, yeah. Were there any terrible cocaine? Like, uh, you Lots. Oh, lots? Of ideas? Yeah. Yeah, just like, a, oh. what it is is you're always chasing the dragon. You're chasing that first bump of, <clears throat> like, oh, my God, that first line was so good. I want that feeling again. And it's never as good as that first line. And then next thing you know, it's like 7 in the morning. And you're going, let's go buy another eight ball. These ideas, like, we need more. 
And then you're walking into some bar that opens up at 8 a.m. and you're drinking with all the old alcoholics and you're gacked out of your head having a discussion with anyone who will talk to you. I mean, there's a bad side too. (laughs) (laughs) No, so it's horrible at the end because you just feel so full of of guilt. You feel bad about yourself. So you do feel guilt at the end of it. I did, yeah. Yeah. I would feel horrible and I'd go into a depression. Do you like, get? Do you find does depression run in your family? My mom was very depressed. Yeah, but I don't really get it. I got it because of alcohol and drugs. About to say because you have quite the serotonin drip. It seems I do. As long as I don't drink or do cocaine, I wake up, and which I haven't in fifteen years. I wake up very happy and very alive and very full of energy. I'm really, when it comes to that, my mood is pretty stable. Wow. It takes a lot to get me down. What a gift. It is a gift, and I get it from my dad. And I didn't need all that. That's sort of the point I'm making. Like, I did not need... um, I did not need that to happen. And I look at things as gifts. Like, we're on this weird board game of life. Oh, my God. We were discussing earlier about how I just bring one guitar on the road. I used to bring a bunch of stuff, but I just love this one Taylor guitar that, and it's not the greatest guitar. If you were to look at it, you go, why? Right. But it's great because it's got my DNA in it. I've put every crack in it. And of course. Bob Taylor gave me it, and it was going to be sent back to the factory, just taken apart for parts. He told me, I was at the NAM show 20 years ago, 18 years ago. He flew me to Nashville, to the Nashville NAM. Oh, because you were living in California. I was a, yeah, I was living in California. I was a tailor. Art, I still am a tailor artist, an mm-hmm. endorsed artist, whatever that means. I'm an endorsed tailor artist. Mm-hmm. So, and I lived in San Diego, and that was where the factory was. And those guys, I'm really loyal to things. Like, they were so good to me that I'm just, I, I, they've always done, I've never paid for a guitar repair. I mean, back when I was drinking, I kicked oh. my foot through my tailor and drank a beer through it. I poured a Guinness into the sandal. This other tailor I have, I call Flower Pot. You've met Smokey Joe. I have another one I'll show you later. It was one I got back in the 80s. It's called Flower Pot. How does and that happen? The name? Or uh, the, the hole in it? Yeah. Well, I bought it out of the penny saver. You know what the penny saver is? It was like this... Uh thing that they used long before the internet it was like a paper that would come out and you would look people would it would be like craigslist but only um analog craigslist analog, analog craigslist oh wow where people would post stuff in the penny saver sounds cars, very scary houses so you would show up at somebody's house so i showed up at some guy's house and i think he was a meth dealer and it was in el cajon huh. and i went over there and i remember i had like 1200 bucks in my left pocket and i had a couple hundred extras in the other in case because i wanted to bargain him down he wanted 1500 for this Taylor and I got it down to 12 maybe 13 I, I remember I pulled one of the hundreds out of my pocket bought it and left and I bought this Taylor it was great I don't know if that was the price it might have been 800 with but, inflation yeah right so I bought that guitar and then I would get really drunk on stage and it was part Why of would my stick oh not my shtick. I just liked it like I used to feel like I needed to drink to kind of take the edge off and I liked the idea. I, I was in love with the idea of Charles Bukowski. I was in love with the idea of barflies. My I was favorite reading that Bukowski. literature. Yeah, man. He had that. He was able to carve out an immense amount of work and identity yes. through self demise. Mm-hmm. And he kind of reflected a whole culture. Mm-hmm. He was the martyr for that whole thing, being lonely. You hear about his daughter talking about him. He was an extremely isolatory person. It's not even a word, isolatory, but I feel like it, it relates to Charles. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 
And so I really was, I loved the idea of the drunken poet on stage, the townsman's uh, aunt, the Paul Westerberg from the replacements. Oh, was Towns, that was Towns' thing too. Oh man, he was just, a, he would get very drunk, yeah. That's how he died, you know, basically. His body gave out. Oh, wow. And I liked the idea of like this lovable, shambolic loser who can't seem to make it. I found... I found a romantic payoff in it mm. that I thought was great. And that's what I, I thought that's what I needed to do. Basically it was like trying on different clothes at a thrift store of maybe I thought that's cool. I'll get really drunk on stage and maybe somebody will be offended or somebody will go, they were way too drunk. And I thought that was kind of cool. Like to drink a pitcher of beer and pour it over my head and my partner's head that I was playing with in the Rugburns. We started as a duo. We would, smash beer down i'd rip the curtains down i'd just i'd throw the mic stand through a mirror i would just destroy things and people would go nuts it was always in good fun it wasn't like i was angry doing it i was a lovable drunk but good i loved the sound of breaking glass and i loved breaking bottles and pint glasses and mirrors and i liked causing mayhem on stage so our shows would get packed. People would be smoking in the front row. Girls, for whatever reason, they would all sit there in their bras, like because the bar was really hot, so they'd take off their tops. And it just got known as this place. It was just debauchery. It was called Kelly's Pub. And I'm you not kidding you. All the girls were just, yeah, we had a residency. And I remember it started off, it was on Saturday nights. It was the rug burns. And yeah. so we would play there. Acoustic? The rug burns and it's this residency. And I went up to the owner. He yeah. was this Irish guy. I go, man, I like your bar. Because my motto was always find a bar where nobody played and make it your own. Don't go where they already have a scene. Make your oh, own scene. Oh, what a great idea. That's why I really love bands like Fish and Ani DeFranco and yeah. The Dead, The Replacements, people that created their own scene. I, I, I just like, what I like about it is the idea of that they created their own vibe. I didn't want to go to the trendy indie bar that was already established i wanted to find a bar and make it our own so we found this bar oh. in old town san diego i remember i went up to the guy I go listen i'm a musician i want to play here we're called the rug burns we're a duo and he goes okay yeah i'll give you 150 bucks a night and i go he goes i don't we won't charge a cover i go great so he pay us he goes then you get free beer and whiskey so wow. we would get drunk well these shows you can really build your own following that's what kind of I want to stress to people in this podcast. Oh, please. I want it to, I, my goal for this podcast is to inspire folks, not just to talk about the debauchery, but to inspire folks to make their own art and that anybody who's listening to this can do anything. They really can. You can do anything you want. I mean, I'm saying this 15 years sober is what I mean. And I still love the person I was and I want to hug that person and I don't regret it. But I will tell you this. We started playing and the shows were wild and fun. And we developed a following through word of mouth. It was all organic, which is the best way I believe music to be. Mm -hmm. If it's real, the audience is going to find you. It's not manufactured bullshit that somebody's putting out. It's real. It is. And people go, what I, this is the best thing somebody can say to me. And they've said it my whole life. When are you playing next? If they say that at the end of my gig, I did my job. So they would bring friends in. I remember we finally told the owner it was so packed. People were lining up to get in. I said, can we charge a dollar? And he goes, yeah, you can have the door. I remember we charged a dollar. And people were like, what? 
we have to pay a dollar and then we upped it huh. to two dollars eventually but the shows were like legendary for our little area we ended up getting a record deal we got signed to bizarre planet records which was zappa's label that herb cohen ran the notorious herb cohen who signed tom waits and um frank zappa and lenny bruce um uh, linda ronstadt bizarre it was called bizarre planet records and bizarre straight and herb cohen was his manager so we got a record deal we were playing how old were you what was your age well mine happened later i had graduated from college in 1985 and i was a 25 year old senior it took me a while to get through college because I took a couple years off and traveled a bit. Mm -hmm. So I graduated in 1985, but was playing shows at night mm. around town in San Diego. Mm. And then by 88, we got 88. I left and went to Europe and played on the streets for passing change. Cause I read this book called the razor's edge by William Somerset. Mom, mom is spelled M A U G H M. He's this great author. And the book is about this guy who, loses all his money when the market collapses in 1929 in the Great Depression, and he just starts bumming around Europe. And I fell in love with the protagonist of this story. His name is Larry Darrell. And Bill Murray did a remake of a movie of it, and there was an original too, I think. I can't remember who was in that one. But the book is stunning. It's so well written, and it inspired me to quit my job and go travel and play on the streets. Mm. And I knew my whole career has been just do it in the universe or whatever without sounding too spiritual. It will take care of you. The The world has its own natural order of things. And if you're creating an energy through presenting music to people and you're doing it with good intentions and you're selling it, mm. every show you play, you're going all out. Yeah. Something's going to happen. Somebody's going to invite you to stay at their house. Right. You know, yeah. you're going to... You're going to come into a lot of stumbling blocks along the way. Of course. With whatever your weaknesses are, be it drugs, alcohol, sex, the whole gamut, gambling, you name it. Anything that we can be addicted to, food, <laughs> anything that takes us out of our own minds so we don't have to think about how horrible a situation can be. Oh, wow. You know, everybody has this thing, like some people go and shop. You know, anything that takes us out, and there are healthy addictions and unhealthy, but all I know is I was playing, and man, every time I played, something good happened. So I ended up with that guitar Taylor gave me after I played Nam. He said, don't pick that one. I did, because I have ODD, which is Oppositional Defiance Disorder. <laughs> I wanted the guitar Bob Taylor said not to play. And I took it, and I have beat the crap out of that thing on the road. It has a hole through it, Willie Nelson-style hole now. It does. From my fingers and just beating it. And I love the guitar. So you would ask me, do you just travel with one guitar? And I said, yeah. And you said, what if you break a string? And I said to you, well, that's like God telling me it's time for me to tell a story and change the string in front of the audience. I look at it as a gift. Anything that happens on stage is a gift. If the power goes out, it's a gift. Yes. Somebody is handing me a gift. It's all how you look at it. I've had the power go oh, off I on see. me at festivals and I will walk off the stage to the middle of the audience and go, this is what needed to happen, I guess. Not that there's a plan, a preordained plan sure, that that's God what or whatever has for us. Right. I mean, part of me wants to believe that, but God's too busy. If there even is a God, right. it's too busy to deal with your own little plan. At your festival that you're at. Yeah. This, right. So what it is, is you just have to learn 
that life has stumbling blocks and you're going to be, they're going to be thrown at you. And it's how you handle those. Every time something happens, it's how you handle it. The other night I played jam cruise. I'm on this boat in the Bahamas with all these great bands, Turquoise and the Claypool Lenham, Lennon Delirium. Oh yeah, Sean that's Lennon cool with Les Claypool and yeah. Dumpsta Funk and Ivan Neville. Oh, so it's quite kind of a random scene. Or it's real jammy, like not for a solo folky like me. And I go on after Ivan Neville and it's packed and everybody just leaves because they don't, they were like jam band fans, you know, a lot of people that would be into Fish and the Dead. Yeah. And then I have to play and half the, the audience cleared out to maybe a quarter of them left. And I, I got up there and was so happy because I said, this is awesome. Everybody what? left, but you guys are here. That means we're meant to have this moment. I go, at first I felt really sad. I was like, what about me? But then I realized the ones that stayed are the anointed ones and we're the lucky ones. Next thing you know, I proceeded to put on such a fun show that it got more and more crowded because people feel energy. Oh. So rather than get in my own head and sulk about it. Oh, I see. So I look at a broken string as a gift and I'm like, oh, I can tell a story about how I used to break strings in a club in San Diego, that club I was telling you about. Right. And for a while, all these really hardcore Marines and stuff were coming because it was San Diego. And if I broke a string and stopped, they would start shouting out requests and want to talk to me. And I'd be like, I don't want this. So I learned to change a string really fast and have one ready. And I could change it while telling a story or in the middle of a song, I can change a string get it all up and then go right back in exactly where I left off the exact word of the third verse of whatever song I was singing. Wow. And I'd be telling a story in the middle while I changed it. And I go, okay, where was it? And I go, oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Whatever, like if I was playing some cover or whatever. Because I would learn all these covers. Okay. Do you do covers now? Yes. I, I'm a true believer in covers. I mean, I, okay, I'm a true believer in covers. no rules. What does that mean? Okay, I'm a believer in no rules. Now. I'm a believer that if you don't want to do covers, don't do them. I'm a believer we make our own. Sure. Like, don't, don't ever let anybody tell you a song has to go verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus, out. Maybe, maybe your song has no chorus. Like, always rewrite the rules. It's the rule breakers that make stuff happen and stumble onto art. Like, what if somebody had told Picasso, oh, your tits should be symmetrical in this picture. They're, mm -hmm. they're out of focus. Why is it one tit on this mm -hmm. woman here and this one's up here? What if Picasso did a co-paint and the co-painter said, <laughs> don't do that? So my thing is, there right. are no rules. Right. There's no rules. So for me, though, what I love about covers is covers make me a better player. Because if I learn a song like The Way We Were, the Barbara Streisand classic, uh, written by Marvin Hamlin. What a funny song to pick. And I, I actually <laughs> covered that on a record. Okay. Dreamhouse. I do a cover of it because nobody's expecting me to do, go, memories light the corners of my mind. They're thinking I'm taking the piss out of it, but I'm seriously doing it. Because when you listen to those chord changes, it's like misty watercolor memories of the way we were. It's beautiful, the sentiment. And maybe it became schlocky because it was like overdone with Streisand doing and everything. But you do a song, a good song is a good song is a good song. And so I love learning covers, weird covers that are out of my wheelhouse because then through osmosis, I learned chord changes I would have never learned. I would have never thought of. And they're going to come out in another way when I'm creating a song and I won't even mm -hmm. know how it happens. They'll be in my DNA. Oh, wow. What's your process now then 
for approaching a situation where you go to perform live? Do you even think about these things? Do you even think about things stumbling? Do you even think about having to persuade an audience? Do you think about it in an egotistical way? Like half the room leaves, or maybe even more than half the room leaves. You don't take it in a narcissistic way. I try not to because your ego is just going to get in your way. What are your thoughts on ego, which is kind of really broad? Well, if you listen to Alcoholics Anonymous people, they talk about this a lot in meetings where they'll say ego stands for easing God out. Whatever God is, the idea of God, I don't know what God is. Nobody knows. Anybody who claims it, all these religions that fight each other, they're so dumb. They're alive. They haven't died yet. Maybe nothing happens. Maybe there's Mm -hmm. nothing out there. Mm -hmm. Right. My romantic side wants to believe that there are other universes and other things, but we don't know. No. Nobody knows. Why do we think it's our job to know? I don't it's know. Our job People act. fight about it and they get mad if you don't believe in God or they get mad if you do believe in God. So my thing is just be very honest on stage. I love talking about God on stage. I walk out and I'll t- I just did it the other day. I did a show that was packed at a record store for uh, 30A Songwriter Fest. I just got back from two days ago. I was playing at Central Square Records. A free show, 200 people jammed in. My favorite kind of show where they're just so close to me. Hush, quiet. And I started talking about God. And I talked about being an altar boy and how God was rammed down my throat and how no matter what, I'll always still believe in God. And the other half of me thinks it's all bullshit. (laughs) And I say, but all my friends are atheists and they're all really smart. And I just tell the audience, but who knows? Who knows what is beyond? What lies beyond it all? But I still like the idea that there is this benevolent God. Maybe mm. it's just an energy force. Who knows? Mm. But I, and if somebody gets offended by me saying it's all, the other side of me says it's all bullshit. It's like superheroes in a comic book. Oh, he changed the water into wine and he walked on water. He's like, a, it's like superhero shit. Where's the difference in that from people who make fun of the Mormon religion when the Brigham Young got handed? Uh, magic glasses to read the book that he had to have these special glasses on. Right. People go, it's like a comic book. And I go, hello? Yeah, right. What about Jesus walking on water? Anything you want to talk to? Swallowed by a whale? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And right now somebody's listening to this and they're offended. And I say, great. You know, arts, Woody Guthrie said it best, you know, it's to uh, rattle. What is it? What did he say? It's uh, a good song or good art will... Disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. Oh, wow. It's good to be flexible. I just think you got to be. You got to be flexible. There are a lot of different people. You can't hate a person because they voted for someone you don't like. It's really dumb how much time people waste arguing with people on Facebook. And I've been in that situation. I've been that person. Facebook thing. That's a crazy behavior. It's a new thing. It's a new behavior. It is. Everybody has a bully pulpit to shame someone. Weird. I think you've got to go back to love. How so? Meaning you've really got to meditate on love every day. And there's this woman that was running for president named Marianne Williamson, one of the many Democratic candidates that was just out. She's a self-help guru. Now, there was no way she was going to get the nomination and she's since dropped out of the race. But her name right. is Marianne Williamson and she has all these books out. And she is 
just like has these prayers and uh, I learned something from her and I was laughing at, at first that she was running for president, but she was coming at things from love. And so she has this book out called A Return to Love. And oh. she has this prayer that I like to say. What is it? And the prayer is, and you can use a different word for God. Uh -huh. Like when I was going to meetings in AA, they would say, You're, you have to surrender to a higher power and that power is God. And I said to people in AA, well, I have a problem with God. I don't know if I believe in that. So I'm going to make Neil Young my higher power because he's a power greater than myself. They said, that's fine. You can make Neil Young your higher power. Boy, Whatever that's you want. really nice. <laughs> so, Which the, era of Neil Young? Were you referring to Neil Young as a whole? Yeah, I love it. Even landing on water, Neil Young? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, he's human. But then that's true. since that's happened, I'm fine with the idea of God. I'm fine with my idea of God. So her prayer says, God, please help me. Heal my mind. Wherever my thoughts have strayed from love, if I've been controlling, manipulative, greedy, ambitious for myself, whatever it is, I'm willing to see this differently. Amen. And I've been all of those things. I've been greedy. I've been manipulative. I've been controlling. I've been way too ambitious for myself. And it doesn't make me feel good when I'm that way. Even if I get what I want, I don't feel good about it because I think I, I maybe I was too manipulative in getting something. I want to earn it. Like I don't. For me personally, I don't want welfare for me. I don't want anything handed to me. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'm for the welfare state, I'm probably definitely more, way more left wing thinking. And I know we pay taxes for a reason, and that's in yeah. capitalism. You have winners and losers. I'm just talking about for me personally. I don't want. I want to earn it on my own. Mm -hmm. I don't want anything handed to me. Of course. That's what I love about the music business. It's capitalism at its, at its highest form. It's like the golden age of capitalism. Either you're good or you're not. And if you're not, you're not going to make it. I hate right. to say it. It's real though. You're going to be able to feed yourself. It depends on what lifestyle you want. It's real. If I truly believe if you're offering something of value, you're going to get some form of an audience. And then you also have the where, have to have the wherewithal to stick with it. You have to have steely resolve. You can't be offended too easily, get your feelings hurt, because you're going to be met with nothing but rejection. Half of this business, I'm still the kid who didn't make the basketball team in ninth grade. Of course. I did not make the team. And I cried in front of all the other boys that made it. And they looked at me and laughed. Not all. Some felt sorry for me. Mine was the only name not on the list in ninth grade. I wanted to play basketball more than anything. At night, I was playing classical guitar. I was taking lessons. I played guitar since I was six years old. And I was in choir, the top singing group, the Madrigals. We would travel. I was in drama. It's a great name. Nobody could know. Like the Madrigals, we'd compete against other schools, and we would sing songs that were in other languages, like, Fana canzone senza notanere, sei mai bramasti la mia grazia vere. Is that Italian? I think it is. There's nothing more powerful than singing in four-part harmony with right. a powerful group of singers, it's 12 real. of you. The noise it makes. Oh, my God. God, it's beautiful. It's the sound. It's, it's the something. Sound. It's just something else. And I'd been in a band for years, but there's something also about touring solo and walking out on stage at a festival or anywhere. And I never use a set list. And I walk out and I just take a deep breath. And I always do this thing. I say a prayer before I go on. 
And all I say is, I go, whatever God is, once again, I go, thanks for giving me these gifts. I just want to use them to help people to forget any problems they had today or if they're having a rough life. I want to make them smile and give them an hour reprieve and just bring the whole room together. And then I open my eyes and I look at the room before I go out from side stage and I go, at the end of this show, these people are going to be on their feet and they're going to have their arms around each other. Boom. And I know it's going to happen. I you visualize it. it. You I visualize it. I visualize it. My dad taught me that. And I know for a fact, most of the time, it's going to happen that way. And I then I walk out and I just start playing a song. And then I think as I'm playing the one song, I'm like the Terminator, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. When <laughs> the guy says to him, possible answers. And he goes, no, yes, maybe, fuck you. He has all yeah. these different answers he can give them. I'm like that, or I'm like a quarterback in the NFL where I'm dropping back and I'm reading the defense. And I'm going, oh my God, they just yeah. called a blitz. I need to pass out really quick. Or I need to run the ball. I need to get far enough here. It's alive with you. Yeah, I'm calling an audible. Yeah. And so I'm going, this story might work. And then if that story works, I see how far I can push it. Because it's like a first date when you first come out. Oh, dude. Yeah, it's very real. Yeah. It's very real. <laughs> When have you, has Steve Fultz ever been overdone? Have you ever been too Steve? Yes, many times. Okay. I've blown it so many times in gigs. I'm finally, I'm Because it's be a lot of Steve. Because yeah. I've seen you perform a lot of times, but I think it's because it's, I love that person. Yeah. Are there, it's a lot to take in though, a Steve Fultz Of course show. it is. It's not an easy, it's not a sugar cube. It's a lot. It's a whole smorgasbord of emotions. Yeah. And I'm going to be 60 coming up. So you got to imagine Dude. I've done this a long time. Yeah, I've blown it so many times where I've gone too over the top. Yes, where I've, I mean, I've tried, my whole career has been experiment, failure, experiment again, fail again, experiment, fail again, take that thing that worked. Like I was coming up with ideas back in 1984. <laughs> my ideas were like, I'm going to go to a thrift store I'm going to get five toasters and then I'm going to the market and I'm buying five loaves of Wonder Bread, some sugar, some cinnamon and butter. And at midnight at the bar, I'm stopping my show and making everybody cinnamon toast. And the guy in my band was like, why? And I go, why not? Because I can. It's my show. It's my stage. And then I fed everybody cinnamon toast. And I swear to you, for years, people were coming up going, are you going to make cinnamon toast again? Remember that time you made cinnamon toast? Oh, wow. Like, I was coming up with these ideas. And then another time it was like, I would go to thrift stores. I'd come out dressed as a woman. I'd come out dressed in a pantsuit with a purse over my shoulder with a can of Slim Fast in it. I mean, just like these ideas. Or I'd buy all these eight tracks and play eight tracks and learn the song off the eight track and make people remember what eight tracks were like. Or one time I... I was playing, I opened for Jewel. You know who Jewel is? Oh, yeah, yeah, come on. So I opened for Jewel. She was my girlfriend at the time, and we had written this hit song called You Were Meant For Me. Sold 15 million records. Yeah. So we co-wrote that. I was the guy in the what video with was, her. What years was that? That was like 1994, 95, 96. That was like prime money time. Prime money time. I, so I did well. There was a time where you did really well? Really well. Are you, are you doing just as well now, or are you doing better then? I feel like I'm doing better than I've ever done, because... Oh. I'm in complete control of my career. I don't. You own your. You own your record. You own everything. I'm not. No, I'm not beholden to anyone. I can do whatever I want on stage, and I still take risks. I and see. some things don't work. And when they don't work, it's awesome because I tell the audience, "I had this idea that was going to be the best part of the show, <laughs> and you guys gave me nothing. It wasn't good, wasn't?" Some people are like, "No," and that makes it even funnier. And I go, well, "Let me try it again." See if it's funny this time. And then they'll be like, that was ballsy. You just rammed it down their throat again. 
Like, I remember one time I opened for Jewel. I was in her band and I would open. Nice. And great. we're playing the Coors Amphitheater in San Diego. I don't oh, know yeah. if it's still called Coors, but it was called Coors Amphitheater at a shed, mm-hmm. a shed show. 15,000 people sold out of the Haida Jewel. She was on the cover of Time Magazine. She was on the cover of Rolling Stone. She was on the cover of all these magazines. And she was your girlfriend at the time. Yeah. That's she had bodyguards. Like, it was crazy. Wow. And everybody, like certain people just hated me because I was with her. Okay. Other people loved me. I remember one review came in and it said, Jewel attracts, boyfriend distracts. That was the headline. Oh. And, and until you've really been slammed by a, somebody, you don't know what it's like, but it hurts. Bro. You know, until you've wow. gotten a really bad review, which I've gotten some bad reviews, it hurts. But now I feel like, man, after all this, I have the best calluses and shit just rolls off of me. Right. And it goes back to this one thing of, remember, everything's riding on this one gig, which is something David Crosby said to my friend Jeff Berkeley, who played the djembe. He was at yes. a small festival. He's going on stage. Yep. At the side stage, Jackson Brown sees him playing and goes, get that djembe player from my encore song. Yeah. Gets him, sends him, my friend's freaking out. He's about to go on stage. David Crosby's on the side of the stage just watching it like a crow on a wire. <laughs> just before my friend goes on, David Crosby grabs his arm and goes, hey, kid, remember, everything's riding on this one gig. <laughs> so we say this all the time now. <laughs> I mean, all the time. That's our line to any of my friends. I'll say it to people when they're really nervous. Just mm-hmm. let them know. Nothing is that important. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't. So I was going on stage. I'm opening for Jewel. 15,000 people. Coors Amphitheater. I come, I'm constantly coming up with these weird ideas because I like my show is part theater. It is part, but you didn't have a root in theater. So what, what, what explains that? I was in drama in high school. You, okay. But wow. not huge drama, but I always liked it. I went to plays. I would go see. And it relates to your personality. Yeah. I, yeah. I would, you know, I saw Jesus Christ Superstar. I saw Godspell. I saw Oklahoma. You like cats? I haven't seen cats. I need to. Okay. Cats is wild. That's a good, that'd be a good date. Number. And that's Andrew yeah. Lloyd Webber, right? That's Andrew Lloyd Webber. I yeah. love his writing on Jesus Christ Superstar. Insane. Um, so I go out and I get this idea because this, this is pre-internet. So this family writes me and they go, Hey, our daughter is 15 years old and got straight A's. Oh. And we were wondering if you could make mention of it. Like they send me this letter. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm doing it like a typewriter, but they right. sent me a letter. Can you make mention that our daughter, Sarah, got straight A's? I know you're going to be playing in Jules Band and you'll be opening the show. It would mean the world to our family. Mm. And they said, and it's her birthday. So I was like, oh, that's cool. She's 15 years old. It's her birthday. So I'm at Coors Amphitheater. So I come up with this idea, and I don't run it by anybody, which I want to do. And I go buy a 12-pack of Lucky Lager beer, and I wrap it up in girly um, wrapping paper, birthday paper. And I go out on stage, and I'm playing my set, and I go, I got the nicest letter from a family whose daughter got straight A's, and it's her 15th birthday. And I wanted to make mention of it, and I would like to bring her up on stage. Sarah, would you come up on stage? So she comes up on stage. It's me solo. I have the gift. You have that tailor? I had a pre-tailor. Flower pot. I was playing a tailor. The other Bonnie. one. The one that I kicked my foot through and drank a beer through. Oh, wow. I guess. So, so I bring her up on stage. I go, here's your gift. I go, I didn't know what to get you because you're kind of too old for a Barbie doll. So <laughs> I, I got you this. So she opens it up. Everybody's there. 
and it's a 12 pack of lucky lager beer and i tell the audience well i didn't know what to get her so i got her a 12 pack of lucky lager because i figure this is coors amphitheater and they should and if you're going to name an amphitheater after a shitty beer you should rename it after a really shitty beer so we should even change the name from a shitty beer to a <sighs> shittier beer and call this the lucky lager amphitheater so now i've pissed off coors oh yeah amphitheater people i pissed off mothers against drunk driving obviously because i've just given a, a minor a 12 pack of beer who loves jewel who loves, loves Jewel. Jewel. Her family loves Jewel. Yeah. <laughs> and she's walking off stage with the 12 pack. Next thing well, I she know. She took the beer. So next thing I know, she leaves the beer backstage. Next thing I know, oh. it's on the evening news in San Diego. <gasps> Singer's joke falls flat. It gets on San Diego Magazine as bonehead move of the year. Like <laughs> I'm t- They started protesting outside Coors Amphitheater, Mothers uh-huh. Against Drunk Driving. The police <laughs> want to talk to me because I've given a minor beer. Her parents were so cool. They said that the beers were empty, that it was empty bottles. Oh. And, um, right. But the whole thing was just insane. And I was just like, well, that wasn't a good idea. So that was your are, reaction? You weren't just like, oh, my God, I fucked I, this up. Yeah, I fucked this up. This is stupid. But it makes for a great story now on stage. And the Isn't funniest thing is I recently played in Seattle and the girl showed up. And she's like, got kids and is married now. And we were laughing so hard about it. And I brought her up on stage and retold the story. The audience is dying. I mean, like real life experiences. I mean... I've been a fuck up half my life and my show is all about the ways I've fucked up from when I was an altar boy to drugs to anything. So it's spoken word with songs, yeah. but I want to move an audience from laughter to tears and then have a sense of redemption at the end. That's what we need. When you see a Springsteen show, it ends in redemption. Mm. How many Springsteen shows have you seen? I'd say eight or nine. That's a lot. Yeah. That's really good. And every time he's never failed to deliver. So yes, there has been times when I've gone too over the top and there can be too much. And what I'm doing isn't probably isn't for everyone, but I'm fine with that. Why like, is that? Why am I fine with it? Mm-hmm. Because you can't please everyone. And I used to want to, I used to think it's everybody has game. to like me, but I'm still the kid that didn't make the basketball team. So we when I get that. a, when I, I didn't make the basketball team. I tried out for it. And I was the only one. So that's the kid I still am, the rejection of that. So when I get accepted to a festival, even at the age of 60, I feel like I made the team. Like I played Telluride Bluegrass Fest last year, solo. Telluride, that's a big stage. And I come out there and I get all these really cool gigs at this age of my life. It's all happening for me better than it ever did before. And I'm doing it solo. I used to think I needed a band, but I'm going out there and I'm really giving it everything I have. And I really feel like only I, I can only be me. I used to think when I first started writing songs, I had to write a song that I was listening to Jackson Brown and James Taylor and stuff. And I needed to write that song, but they have their own voice and only they can be Jackson Brown or James Taylor, but nobody can be me. I'm like a weird offshoot child of whatever, Robin Williams had a kid with James Taylor or something. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Not like that. That is real. Like, yeah, it's like, I'm like some weird offshoot of all those things that you listen to. I don't mean that I'm like them. What I mean is I, I took little things from all those people from punk rock artists, from the sex pistols to anything to Jesus Christ, superstar to theater, to reciting a monologue from the Godfather. 
I start, the more I realized that there were no rules and I had 75 minutes on stage in which to do the weirdest shit I ever wanted to do, that was, my mind is still blown. I'm still thinking of new things I can do. Really? Yeah, I came up with this idea a couple of years ago where I argue with myself on my iPhone and I have the whole argument. I wanted to about. ask you about that whole thing. I remember last year we were playing Toto Santos at Hotel California. It was Saturday night and... I was to go on after you. And mm-hmm. then you, I saw you backstage. It'd been a year since we'd seen each other. We called up and you go, if you'll excuse me for a couple of minutes, I gotta go type some shit on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> and you go and you sit down behind the stage. And I see you put on these, these like, um, these like Hunter S. Thompson like glasses. And <laughs> then like, you're just sitting there in the selvage denim. And this nice like Mexico Saturday night. And it's like, you're just typing. You're like, and you just start laughing out loud at your own phone. And I go, well, this must this be, this is going to have to be the best thing I've seen. And you go up there and like you somehow interact, you have this thing where Siri talks back to you mm-hmm. and you're saying some shit to her. And then like you beatbox along with it with a looper pedal. Will you refresh my experience on that whole well, thing? Like what's the dialogue? It all started when I bought one of those little handheld tape recorders years ago. Years ago. Yeah. Like Whoa. eight years ago. And I would buy a handheld tape recorder and I would sing a song from Godspell because I love theater. So there's this song on Godspell called All for the Best. And I love those ones that have religious undertones because religion's a big theme of my show. I'm haunted by God and the idea of Jesus and communion and all that. Haunted in a good way where it's made for great humor, like talking about being an altar boy and a 12 year old altar boy and getting a hard on on oh, when yeah. you're serving mass and going, what the fuck? I have this robe on and now I've got to go pour wine in the priest's glass. And I got this huge boner and Jesus is on a cross looking down at me with a crown of thorns and a tear coming out. Like, I know what's going on here. And I would pray to God, please don't let me get a hard on during mass tomorrow. Of course that right. means you're going to get one. Cause you can't control when that happens when you're that age. Of course. And so all these ideas. So I bought this tape recorder and I would sing a song called All for the Best. It's in Godspell. So the song goes like this. When you feel sad or under a curse, your life is bad. Your prospects are worse. It's got all this. It's one part to that. And then it has this descant part behind it that goes, at the same time that's going on, after you sing the first part, then you do the second part. And you would do it with somebody. Like if we were to do it together, the other part I do would go, some men are born to liberties, doing what they please, richer than the bees are in honey. Never growing old, never feeling cold, pulling pots of gold from the air. But at the same time behind it is going, when you feel sad. And it rhythmically is perfect. It's brilliant. So I was able to sing that into a tape recorder and then I'd play the tape recorder and I'd have the tape recorder speaker up and I'd sing the other part while the tape recorder was held up to the microphone. The audience is blown away. They're going, whoa, like you're blowing their mind because I just recorded it live, pre-looping pedal, sing it with myself to the microphone. And then not only are they cheering, then I have the tape recorder go, nice job, Steve. And then I go, what do you mean? So it's nice job, Steve, in my voice, but I pause it and I'd have the argument timed out, so I'd work on it. My roommate would go, nice job, Steve. And I'd count to three or four or five. And I'd go, what do you mean? He'd go, oh, you, you, just sang with your, you just sang with yourself. Everyone does that. And i go, no, they don't. he go, yes, they do. And i go, no, they don't. he go, yes, they do. I go, no, they don't. he go, yes, they do. Go, Wait, I'm talking. I'm talking. No, I'm talking. What the hell is wrong with you, Steve? You're standing here at this club and this audience in this place. And I would say, reference the exact night of the club. So people are freaking out. And 
I'd say, look at the people in the front row. I saw you looking at that girl. Saying, I was not. Yes, you were. No, I wasn't. I have somebody in my life. Uh-huh. Why are you such an idiot, Steve? I'm not an idiot. Fuck right. you. Fuck you, too. And we'd start yelling at each other, and the audience is like, what is going You're on? Losing it. So now with an iPhone, I'm able to plug that in into a DI box, and I'm able to have Siri speak in Siri's voice. Sometimes I can hook two phones up and have a Siri and a British accent argue with Siri and an Australian accent while I'm trying to break up the fight. It's complete madness. How do you do that? Like technically, how do you execute that? Is it like in a note file? Yeah. Or is it a so I type file? it into notes. So what I would do is I would go to my notes section and I would talk into the notes. Like you, every iPhone has a notes section and I go... This is so cool because I'm here hanging out with Daniel Donato. I love him so much. He's such a good guitarist. He is a super virus kid. That kid has some sign of virus. It's amazing what he does. He's fucking awesome, man. I love Daniel. And then I would go like this, and then I'd hit this, and I'd go boom. I go done, and I go boom. Select all. So I hit select all, and then I go over here, and it would go. This is so cool because I'm here hanging out with Daniel Donato. I love him so much. She's such a good guitarist. He is a super virus kid. That kid has some sinus virus. It's amazing what he does. He's fucking awesome, and I love Daniel. So I would do that. So I would have... So then what I would do on stage, I'd already type that in. I'd I'd say, I just wrote this song because... I. I'm good friends with Steve Wozniak, and Steve Wozniak started Apple Computer years ago. He was Apple employee number one. He and Steve Jobs were partners on it, and Steve Wozniak's brilliant. Yeah, they started together, and Wozniak's, he's a super fan of mine, and he flew me up to play a 60th birthday party, rented out the Museum of Technology. He loves the way I speak on stage. He loves, he comes to, he'll fly to see me in Australia, fly to see me in England. He's like this crazy super fan, he and his wife. So, I say I tell the audience earlier in the show, I go, man, it's really cool because Steve Wozniak gave me this thing called songwriting app and he had it surgically implanted in my head and I'm just beta testing it right now. In fact, I think I could do it right now if I was to do it. I think um, while I was just doing that last song, I actually wrote a song because I like to write songs while I'm singing songs because I may look like I care what I'm singing about, but I can't give two shits about the song. Even though my eyes were closed, I look, I was into that song. I, I didn't care about what I was singing. I just acted like I did. What I cared about more is the song I wrote right now while I was singing that other song. Then I pull up my notes on my eye thing and I go and I'll go like I flew from uh, London England all the way to Nashville it cost a couple hundred bucks but I didn't care I was full of cash Phil and I'll come up with a song that's already written on the thing and I'll sing it off of it like I just wrote it through my head sending it through songwriter app into my phone because I'm able to do that because I'm beta testing it so I sing it into the notes and then once it's sing I sing it then I have the phone sing it in Siri's voice but I say that I can't cuss because Siri always changes fuck to duck. So then I have the phone go, it's ducking cool. It's really ducking fun. And then the audience claps and goes nuts. And then I have the phone go, Steve Pultz is an idiot. And the phone just starts shredding me to pieces. So it's all in the same note file? That yeah. Is- but what's cool is I get the phone to shred me after I've shown, proven that I have songwriter app and it just wrote a song. Then the phone starts going... Steve Pultz hasn't played his taxes in years. You think he's having fun here tonight at this festival here? Tell your eye glue ass festival. You know what he did earlier today? Don't shake his right hand. And I'll just be saying all this stuff. Steve Pultz should pay his taxes. It's so fun because then the audience's mind is just like, whoa. So 
I used to just only play songs and I would get up there and I'd be, I wouldn't <clears throat> want to say anything to the audience. Right, you're a songwriter guy. At- I was I was like another guy doing what everybody else is doing. Rules. Again, yeah, rules. I thought I had to do that. But then one time I got out of the water and I was surfing in San Diego and I ate three brownies laced with so much weed accidentally and I had a panic attack. I was so high. Uh-huh. You know, I had way too much THC. And I got in all the water. My friend said, you did not eat those brownies. I go, yeah, I was starving. He goes, dude, you are screwed. So I was begging for somebody to take me to the hospital. I thought I'd gone insane. I had eaten so much marijuana that I started crying. And I made him walk with me. They go, hand him a guitar. So somebody handed me a guitar. And I swear to God, Daniel, it was like... Us. Imagine if you had a sliding glass door in your mind. I opened up the sliding glass door and stepped into the side of my mind, the right side, my right brain. Oh yeah. And there was a whole path, the most beautiful path I'd ever been down that I didn't know existed in my mind. And I took a walk down that path and I started ad-libbing and I started free-forming. And I started just saying anything that came to my mind and everything that was coming out. I was going, oh my God, there's a safety net below me. I'm going to be taken care of. I got to just take risks. And I started doing stand-up and all kinds of crazy shit. And it taught me a lesson that I wasn't using all my tools. So then I started taking more chances. I would come out on stage. Every show, I need to take a chance. I need to do a cover that I've never done or something. I need to do a reading. I need to do something that scares me that may or may not work. Lately, it's been telling this joke that bombs. And I know the joke is going to bomb, but I want the feeling of bombing because it gives me an energy infusion because my adrenaline goes up. It's free drugs. I know the joke. Nobody's going to get it except a couple people. And the people that get it are going to be my friends for life. But the rest of the audience looks at me so blank. And then I explain the joke to them and I keep ramming the punchline down their throat later on as the show goes on. And I swear to God, I have more people come up to me and say the punchline later. Oh, wow. I'll tell you the joke. Yeah, please. It bombs every show. Sharon tells, please don't do that. I hate seeing you bomb, but I go, I kind of hooked on the pain of bombing. Can we stop on how literally masterful that is to where you can decide if you fail or not on stage? Yes. (laughs) It's It's so fun because it's it's a drug. It's like buying an eight ball of Coke. Telling this joke is a drug. (laughs) (laughs) What's the joke? So the joke is this. The joke is, I walk out on stage, I'll sing a couple songs, and I'll go, there's these four deer hunters, and they were in Canada. They were hunting for deer all day. They couldn't find a thing. They didn't shoot one deer. And they're hanging out, and they've been drinking whiskey all night. It's midnight. They're around a fire, and they're drunk. All of a sudden, they hear something crackling through the branches. They stand up and grab their guns, crackling through the branches. They have their guns pointed. And then all of a sudden, they hear hear a human voice say, do not shoot. I am not a deer. Do not shoot. I am not a deer. And this guy walks out with his hands up. The lead hunter picks up his gun anyways, shoots him right in the leg. The guy falls down. He goes, Jesus Christ, what the hell did you do that for? I said I wasn't a deer. And the guy says, I'm sorry. I thought you said you were a deer. <laughs> and it bombs so hard. And I tell the audience, it's funny because deers can't talk. <laughs> and I have more people come up to me now and go, I'm sorry. I thought you said you were a deer. The whole idea of it is so stupid. It's my favorite joke because, like, first of all, he says, why why'd you shoot me? I said I wasn't a deer. I'm sorry. I thought you said you were a deer. 
<laughs> Did you make that one? No, I heard it from some. I heard it. Somebody told me it somewhere. Do you? So you're you you have a creative way of. I I'm not saying it because. I think this is what it is. I think it's more heightened skill in this. <laughs> but you have a way of stealing. Oh, you have to steal some things. Yeah. But is it stealing if you're simply just taking something that inspires you and just including it into the smorgasbord of your experience live? I think like, that... That's genius. I think everything is theft. Right. All good art is theft. Because it comes from something. That's okay, look. As a little kid, I, I memorized all of Steve Martin's albums. I could do them from front to finish for my parents. I didn't even know half the shit I was saying what it meant. And I found these bits that I loved. And then I went, yet I also loved music. I loved theater. I loved Jesus Christ Superstar. I would act out every part of Jesus, Mary, and Judas. Like I would rub lotion on my own feet like I was Mary and then betray myself. <laughs> and I would have these talks and I would rewrite songs in the church. And everything to me was a trial and error. Bang my head into something. That didn't work. I'll try this. But being fearless. And so, yes, you, you can come up and take different parts of things like if i hear a joke or i write a joke usually everything i have i i write an idea but if i hear a joke that i know bombs i'm going to take that joke and use it to bomb or take a monologue from a movie like the godfather um hyman roth talking to michael corleone you know and hyman roth is played by lee strasberg and he has this great monologue, you know. I don't know if you saw The Godfather too. And it's there in Cuba. And he's talking to him and he coughs at really weird moments. Lee Strasberg, because he has emphysema, he's an old man. And he goes, There was this kid I grew up with. He was younger than me. We did our first work together. Worked our way on the streets. Things were good. We made the most of it during Prohibition. We ran molasses into Canada, made a fortune. Your father, too. As much as anyone I love <coughs> and trusted him. Years later, <coughs> he had an idea to build a city out of a desert, a stopover for GIs on their way to the West Coast. That kid's name was Mo Green, and the city he invented was Las Vegas. This was a great man. A man of vision <coughs> and guts. And there isn't even a plaque <coughs> or a signpost or a statue of him anywhere. Someone put a bullet through his eye. No one knows who gave the order. When I heard it, I wasn't angry. I knew Mo. He could be headstrong, talking loud, saying stupid things. So when he turned up dead, I let it go. And I said to myself, this <coughs> is the Business we've chosen. We didn't ask who gave the order because it had nothing to do with business. This is the business we've chosen. Well, it's heavy, it's real. Yeah, man. Whoa. And so, like, I thought, How's why can't I? I thought, why can't I do that monologue in between two songs and find a way? Why can't I do that? Why can't I? Oh, I see. To entertain an audience. Like, why not come out on stage after they laughed really hard and go, or, or I'll come up with an idea like, you know, brawny paper towels. Oh, yeah, come on. Like, I'll be driving home. Yeah. I, I mean, I talk, I'll be on stage. 
I've been doing yep. this thing lately where I got a wire, I got a wireless mic, like a TED Talk mic. Oh, it's yeah. my new thing. And I, the sound man told me it, who did sound for Christina Aguilera. I was asking what mic did she use, and he goes, "It's this DPA, this Danish Pro Audio." So I, my guitar's wireless, so I'm able to start my show in the middle of the audience, like I'm sitting in the crowd, and the light comes on. And then I've, I've adopted slides into some of my shows where they have a slideshow. And so I'll put a picture of the brawny man on the paper towels because he looks kind of like Chuck Norris or Tom Selleck. Right. And then I'll come up with this whole idea where I'll, I'll go, the brawny man is talking to me. And so I will have the slide up and I'll be able to say like a brawny quote um, where I'll go, I'll tell the audience, I'll, I'll walk out on stage sometimes just with only the picture of the brawny man behind me. And sometimes I'll tell, I, I like to challenge myself. I'll go, I'm not going to play a song for eight minutes. I'm not going to hold the guitar because it's easy for me to hide behind my guitar. And I need, I need to wake up and get that drug. So I walk out and I'll do this brawny thing. That'll be my opening thing just to fuck with the audience. And I'll have the picture of the brawny a roll of brawny paper towels with that guy that looks like a lumberjack. Oh, yeah. And I'll go like this. And I'll have my phone like this. And You're I'll just go, reading something off your phone. And I'll go, this is an ebbs. I'd like to start this show with an excerpt from my forthcoming book, Paper Towel Heroes, True Legends of the Paper Towel Hall of Fame. Oh. Sometimes when I go to the market to buy paper towels, the brawny man on the plastic wrap starts talking to me on the drive home. His voice sounds muffled and hoarse. He usually says, hey, kid. I was supposed to be Chuck Norris, but my acting coach gave me the wrong address for my audition, and I ended up modeling for paper towels. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, the pay is okay, but it's lonely, and the plastic wrap makes me feel suffocated and unfulfilled. <laughs> I usually just listen and try to keep my eyes on the road. I'll say things like, aha, I understand. And how does that make you feel? Stuff I learned in psychiatry school. By now he feels a certain kinship and trust toward me, and he'll really start opening up. The other day he said, Hey kiddo, did I tell you I was supposed to be the voice of the narrator in The Big Lebowski? You know, the stranger. My agent told me he'd drive me to my third and final audition. I was meant to be the cowboy guy who has a small role sitting at the bar in the bowling alley with Jeff Bridges, a.k.a. Wow. the dude. It was going to be great money because I'd be the narrator and be in the film. Well, we got lost and never made the audition, and the role ended up going to Sam Elliott. It was a huge loss to me and a long life full of losses. Years ago, I was told I had the leading role in a brand new series called Magnum P.I. We went out to celebrate with the casting director, Ed Sizzler, and the busboy was a young Tom Selleck. The director spilled his root beer, and Selleck wiped it up with some fresh paper towels. Go figure. Daylight <laughs> dies and the rest is history. I was ignored like a lonely wallflower at a senior prom. This is when I usually say, well, what was your relationship with your mother like? Where was she during all of this? <laughs> Who was there to protect you? Waterworks central, tears start flowing, and he starts unwrapping himself and using his own full sheet of mess cleaning power to soak up the salty rivers from his own eyes. He usually says brawny quotes like, Life is messy. Let's clean it up. The whole thing makes me a bit sad, but by the time we get home, I put him in a cupboard by the other rolls of paper towels, all bearing his image, and they usually just start yammering to each other, and I go watch old reruns of Chuck Norris films and try not to spill my root beer. Life is messy. <laughs> oh, so it's fun to write short stories, 
and then recite them. Wow. Like I'm trying to, I'm not trying. I'm just like, I'm loving going into whatever, any direction a show can be. That's why I get so stoked. I have all these shows on my calendar because I don't know what I'm going to be like five years from now. I don't know what new songs I'll have written, but every year I'm like, what will next year be like? I'm going to have some, I'm going to end up with a couple songs that are going to be like amazing songs that I'll either open my show with are going to be undeniable. When I say hits, hits from my audience that right. is drawn to what I'm doing. Like what I'm doing isn't for everyone. Right. Nor do I care if it is. No, you don't. Not no, at no. all. No. That's why your shows are so good. I'm playing to, I'm playing for what I want to do. Do you know what I mean? Like I want to do whatever it is I want to do. I didn't become a deadhead till I had a stroke. You know, that's what got me into the dead. Took a stroke to get me into the dead. How so? Well, I had the stroke and then I was in the hospital. I went blind and I couldn't read. When my vision came back, I um, kind of like was out of it. Like somebody hit me in the head with a two by four and I got in this car and I heard the song Ripple and I started crying. I said, I'd never been into the dead. I saw them back in 79 in Salt Lake City and it was awesome, but... I was, you know, when you're 19 years old and you're just into everything. And then I was never really into them. I got really into punk rock for a while. I was into the Sex Pistols and the Dead Kennedys and all these other bands. There is that reaving of the culture there. Yeah, there is. And then after the stroke, I was like, I heard Ripple and it made me cry. And I started learning all these dead songs. Oh, do you still learn songs? Yes. Yes. Right now I'm learning the one that goes, bump. I'm look at the man at the China cat sunflower slow. Oh yeah, walking rhythm in China cat sunflower. Yeah, the rhythm of that is so cool. Oh, it's crazy song, and it's great poetry. That's a Robert Hunter song. I love his lyrics. Yeah, they uh, I was trying, I was trying to make sense of the whole Scarlet Begonias fire on the mountain scenery. The other day and i just can't quite it's a movie the imagery is so pungent you're in that same place and it's like these simple chords but these lyrics that are like if you miss one word you're kind of off the train ride on itself and it's like that is the direction i'm i'm really inspired by right now it's like this simple canvas but if you if you get into the lyrics of it all that is where it's to be found and there's that crazy contrast with Jerry because everyone talks about Jerry the guitar player. But it's like, that is a song for decades. That's a song for centuries. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I love it. Whoa. I think, I think we all, last year, you did a couple dead songs and then we finished with Ripple. I think you finished shows with Ripple. I've seen you do that a couple I've times. I've done it a right? lot. What is the, is it that whole idea of wanting to have that, um, that winning that the idea that there's more is that yeah. where it's coming from? I love how it ends with everybody saying the la da da la da da da. Apparently, just a whole because they they were living on like a self sustained. After they had made Oxymoxoba, and they had made I think it was their they made two records that did not well like they did two right. bad records. They went and they lived in the country somewhere in California, and they had kind of had like a commune thing going on. And when they were recording that song, a bunch of people showed up, and that moment just kind of happened which is kind of an absolutely insanely beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I've never seen them play that one, though. I don't know if that's the thing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I just love the lyric to it. Mm, there is a road, no simple highway. So beautiful. Between the dark. 
You know, I love watching you play as Bertha. Oh, man. I love your voice. Thanks. You have such a great voice. Like, do not, like, just keep the path you're going. Your voice really emotes well. Like, you have something really good about what you're doing. I watch your shows, and I watched you play Bertha and stuff, and there's a tone of your voice that's just awesome. Wow! In the way Neil Young has his own tone, in the way Dylan has his own tone, you have your own tone, and it's really good. What What was your idea behind starting to start singing? Out of, like, going into the folky realm of things? Mine was, I started singing, I started playing guitar when I was six. A guitar teacher came over, and my mom taught choir, and so I always sang. I was really into singing in choirs, and I was glued to the radio, and I would learn songs. I had a really good memory for learning words to songs. I would listen to the radio, and I was able to pick songs up really fast for whatever reason. Okay. Um, I'm not nearly the gifted guitarist that you are. Mm, you know, on. no, I love your guitar playing. I envy the... Um, uh, improvisational skills you have. And I would love to actually take a year and just work on becoming a lead guitarist and not leave Nashville and work on that and play and learn to play piano. I think it would really help me. I, I love playing leads when I get to, yeah. but I'm, I, I'm not good the way you are, the way Billy Strings is or oh, Molly Tuttle, yeah, you know, too. and they're all friends of mine and it's not my strength, you know, like Anthony DaCosta is really good at it. You know, and there's people that are good. But then I think some people also get hampered because they become so good at it that they remain a sideman to people, that they don't work on their solo career. So in a way, it was a blessing that I, I put my efforts into performance and to what I have because now I can go back and learn. Because I, I have the skills. I played classical and I can, I have my own style and I play with my fingers. I don't use a pick, but I want to work on leads for a year and learn a lot of different skills because I love watching you play. And I'm not kidding, man. I love your voice. Thanks. And how old are you? 24. Yeah, you're so young. And you're going to so come into your own as a writer. Mm -hmm. Like, you're going to, you. I see so many good things. I'm so happy to know you. Likewise. Like, it makes me want to cry. Like, I'm so rooting for you well, in your corner. Like, I feel a tremendous amount of love for you. And I want you to. Likewise, like, my friend. Really? Yeah. Like, I'm going to be 60. You're so young. Like, by the time you're my age, you know, I hope you remember this conversation and that I told you that, like, that you timestamp it in your brain because it gets better. Oh, it does. It gets way better. You become so comfortable in your own skin. What's your thought of uh, getting out of your own way? Sounds like a lot of your insights have always pointed to that direction. I used to get in my own way where I'd come out on stage and I would have this conversation in my head, like, that woman hates me in the front row. Oh, yeah. She is not smiling. That guy hates me. Yeah. Why do they hate me? And now I'm like bulletproof. And I swear to you, I'm like not intimidated. I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to kick your asses. Like, I know for a fact. And if you're not into it, I don't give a shit. Go. Don't come back because I'm going to kick your ass. And it's going to be fun. And oh. And I used to hate it because people used to come up and say stuff to me like, oh, man, I love your music, but my husband can't stand you. <laughs> I have these friends that don't like what you're doing. And all I would hear them say was that. Like, people have a weird way of giving backhanded compliments. They do, indeed. And I'd be like, well, I wouldn't think that they like me. All I think is, why doesn't your husband like me? Right. Or why doesn't your wife like me? We respond to negative things way worse than we do. And it possibly. would really affect me. And now I'm like, I wear it as a badge of honor because the way I look at it is 
I don't want to be milk toast. I don't want somebody to say, if they say, how was Steve Pulse's show? If they went, meh, I wouldn't want that. I'd rather I'm going to say, I hated it or I fucking loved it. And I'm going to follow that guy anywhere. And that's what art is. Good art is going to, you want a reaction from somebody. You're not trying to manufacture a reaction. It has to be real. It's easy to get up and rip Donald Trump on stage and offend Trumpers that are in the audience, but that's too easy. I've, I tried that. I wore those shoes. I've tried. I always try things, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really get me anywhere because all you're doing is preaching to the people that already like you. Like what I don't like are musicians on Facebook that call out other musicians and go, "What? What's? Where's all the good protest songs? I, I see a bunch of scaredy cat musicians afraid of alienating their base." I'm like, "Why do you have to tell me what to do? I'm going out and reciting poetry, and I'll recite." fucking monologues from movies. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't want to spend my time talking about him. And why is it up to me? Just because I'm a musician. And I do know a lot about politics. So I do like to talk about politics, but I talk about it in a way that's sort of in a self-deprecating way. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to go up there and alienate a bunch of people. It's easy to preach to the choir. And then people go, and then these Trumpers got up and left. I've had Trumpers get up and leave. And honestly, it doesn't make me feel good. I want to go up and be really devious and at the end of my show have everybody whether they're trumpers or whatever they are singing this land is your land arm in arm oh come on i had a guy come up to me i did that at a festival in effingham illinois mm-hmm. and i had everybody at the end of the concert and effingham's kind of a working class area they got the largest cross on the side of the freeway you've probably seen it on tour oh yeah it's that big cross you drop we've played hand. effingham yeah oh yeah so i played that festival and I had everybody arm in arm. And I knew there was, you know, it's a kind of a rednecky, and then there was hippies, everything. Everybody yeah. was singing the sun as you're on. I had everybody arm in arm. And there those lyrics are really super sneaky, you know. In the shadow of the steeple, I saw my people by the relief office. I seen my people. And as they stood there hungry, I stood there asking, Was this land made for you and me? It's powerful. And I get them to sing that. And so, I mean, I have that Woody Guthrie quote up there. You That's know? a long quote. Yeah. And it's that, for those of you listening, if you want to look up the Woody quote, it just starts, I hate a song that makes you think that you are not any good. Oh. Just do that first line and you'll read the best quote. But So I had everybody sing the Woody Guthrie song, This Land is Your Land. And then afterwards, this old man came up, probably like 80 years old. And I'm walking away, and I got my guitar, and he goes, young man, young man, come hither. When was this? So I turn around. This is is like two years ago. How does it feel to be called young man? It's great. Makes me laugh. That's beauty. So I go, yes? And he goes, come here. So I come (laughs) over to him. I go, yeah. And he goes, I just want to (laughs) say, your show reminded me of how much I love music, and I want to thank you. You brought me joy. And can I give you a hug? And I go, sure. He hugs me. He looks me in the eyes and he goes, God bless you. And I go, God bless you too. And then he says to me, I'm going to go home and get out my record player and play some records tonight. And then he, his wife grabs him and goes, we got to go. He picks up his cooler, puts on his hat, and it's a red baseball hat. And it says, make America great again. And right at that moment, I went, ew. But I didn't say it out loud, but in my mind. And then right after that, I went, I'm a dick. Because if he had been wearing that hat and said, young man, come here, I would have just gone, 
yeah, yeah, whatever. I, I kept walking probably, but I didn't. And I went over and I had this exchange with him. And I thought, that is powerful. And that was a lesson I needed to learn. Don't be a dick. Everybody is allowed to vote whoever the, for whoever they want to vote for. That's why, we, that's why we live in this republic. Mm -hmm. We have democratic, you know, we're, we're able to exercise our vote. And you're allowed to vote for whoever you want. And there's all this shaming now. Everybody gets shamed for anything they did, for whatever vote. You know, whether you like this candidate, it's not liberal enough. Mm. You like Bernie Sanders. You like Elizabeth Warren. You like Joe Biden. You like this. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be a divisive person. I want to be a uniter. I want to make people feel like we can, we're better together. And that's why I'd like to announce my candidacy for president of the United States 2020. Oh, com. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure to send everyone <laughs> the link to your campaign. And um, I'll start rallying some money together. <laughs> but, dude, I seriously mean it though. You're gonna, you have such a good future for you. Thank you. I see it. Whoa. I see things in the future. Whoa. Yeah. Well, you're big on envisioning things. I'm big on envisioning things too. I, I practice seeing things every day. <sighs> My dad taught me that. Yeah. Was, he, did this he what he tell me. See what it feels like. Yes. To have the audience on their feet. How does that feel to have them clapping for you? Picture how you feel standing there with your guitar over your head. Picture how it feels. Picture that. That's what he'd say to me. So, like, do you think that explains the thing that you do before you before you go? On yes, stage? yes. I owe it to my dad. I was lucky. I got to write down the time that this is happening. I'm trying to make sure that we have, because you've said probably more <laughs> Snapple facts of life. <laughs> Than any other podcast we've had. I just want to make sure I get oh, the right good. <laughs> Snapple facts. I love it. I think Snapple facts are the best thing ever. You know, those, yeah. I remember those very, being very young and just loving to, uh, collecting all of them. That's kind of the goal with this podcast is transcend your stories, take synthesize your stories, our stories together, and then give it to people so they can have direction and, and do their own thing. And it's like, man, I could go on for another hour. This is beautiful. Thanks. It's you. so fun. Well, thank you. <laughs> We got to write a song to you sometime. I would love that. Right. I would love that. I wrote a fun one with Billy Strings called Don't Crash That Car. Fun songs are, are real. That's yeah. A, yeah, absolutely. That could be a, I already know that could be a Billy String song. Yeah. His whole thing's funny too. How does he play so good? I don't get it because he like, he covers. He does more covers than he does originals sometimes. Oh, wow. It's crazy. On stage for his oh, show? yeah. Like old bluegrass covers? Well, straight up. Wow. I think it's what people want. He's tapped into the jam band world too and the bluegrass world. And he's, you know, who knows where his future goes to? You and him and Molly Tuttle, all three of you are all going places, you know? Well, I, I truly believe that. And I love Molly. She's one of my dear friends. We've written so many songs together. I have such admiration for all three of you. And Sierra Hull. Oh, yeah. Come on. Sierra Hull. I absolutely. Mean, oh, yeah. I'm not that musical. I yeah. have other. I can, it's like when they interviewed Bob Dylan, Ed Bradley on 60 Minutes, and he goes, I heard you wrote Blown in the Wind like in uh, 30 minutes. Is that true? And you can look this up on YouTube too. And Dylan goes, Something like that. And he goes, How did you do it? He goes, I don't know. He goes, What do you mean you don't know? He goes, 
you tried doing it. Darkness at the Edge of Spoon. He starts talking about that other song, It's All Right, Mom, only playing. He recites the lyrics. He goes, you tried doing it. And Ed Bradley laughs. He goes, well, can't you do it now? And he goes, no. He goes, you can't do that now? And he says, no. And there's this long pregnant pause. And then he goes, pregnant pause. But I can do other things. Oh. Dude, it was like a dagger in my heart when he said that in a cool way, a good dagger. Good daggers are what we all want as writers. But I can do other things. How cool is that? A good dagger. That guy's so smart. He's one of my elder's teachers. You know, pretty soon I'll be the elder teacher. I'm getting, you know, I'll be 60 pretty soon because I'm not planning on quitting this ever. Think about it. I'll be 80 and I'll still be doing this. Oh, yeah. God willing, if I'm still alive and I'll have more nuggets of things I've learned. I mean, I'm still a pup. Right, because that's the belief. It's real. I'm still swinging for the fences. Here's the thing. I'm about to make another record, and it's going to be the best thing I ever made as far as I'm concerned. I'm still swinging for the fences thinking this is going to be the thing that puts me over the top. I still believe this. It's almost in form of insanity, delusions of grandeur, but I don't want it to go away. I want that. I want to believe my best work's ahead of me. Oh, wow. I want to be at the height of my powers. You know, how did you get so good on guitar? I was able to push against it just enough at the right time in my life. How old were you when you started leads? 12 is when I started. 14 is when I... You started playing guitar when you were 12? Yeah. So you've only played 10 years? 24, so 12 years. Be 25 in April. You've only played 12 years? Yeah. So what did you do? Did you just woodshed like crazy? Or, or were you mathematical? Or It's just the way my mind works. Are you a genius? I possess a form of genius with guitar. I think I do. But yeah, like, I, I think you do too. But I'm trying to go in a different way now. I realize the past decade of my life was going as wide as I could. Yeah. Now I want to go deep. Mm. Is okay. that what Robin Ford does? I don't know. I'm just. Is I, he is he great? I don't know his music. Oh, Robin's really smooth. Yeah, Robin's he, really insane. Do He's, you have a lot of respect for him? I do. I was do. he fun to work with, or was it hard? Or it was fitting. That's the right word for it. It was like. Was he a taskmaster? Not in the slightest, mm. which I was expecting from a production standpoint, from yeah. a guitar player to another. Yeah, you know, but. I think there's a weird thing that Are happens. Are you better than him? I'm I'm generally past better. I'm I'm genuinely a past. I don't even think of those thoughts anymore. That's but awesome. I, but I think I didn't I'll, mean to ask you that. I was just wondering. Oh, of course. No, you got to ask those questions. Yeah. It's like you don't think those things. I no. bet. Because like you're. No, so, I don't want to think those. Because the reason you would think that is because where does better come from? Cause, yeah. Because you're not fully sure of the communication that's happening with your own internal self. But when you've proven to your own internal self enough times that you can do a job to satisfy yourself, you stop worrying about being better than others because really the whole time you were just concerned about how good are you. Yeah. Who do you think one of the best guitarists is living today? Because I'm going to tell you my thought. Oh. Tommy Emmanuel. Oh, Tommy's it. Tommy I think he's the best that. guitarist I've ever seen. I feel like he could play with anybody on yeah. any song that he's never heard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. How? How do people do that? Musicality, flexibility. Is it from just always playing with any different kind of song and anticipating where the changes are going? Is it like Wayne Gretzky knowing where the puck's going to go? It's a Wayne Gretzky. It's rapid cognition processing is the thing that happens. It's like why somebody can, can tell you do a that? fake Monet from a real Monet in two yeah. seconds. Can you do that? Play to any song? Oh, yeah. Wow. Have you yeah. ever jammed with Tommy? 
I'm opening up for him in April. Two shows. Solo? Yeah. Yeah. On acoustic? Acoustic. I use this weird Fender Acoustasonic Telecaster, though. Yeah. Whoa. Where are the shows? Yeah, yeah. April. They're in uh, Atlanta at the Variety Playhouse. Man, how many oh, people does that hold? July. I think 1,500. Does he draw that many? Yeah, he sells it out. Damn. He sells it out. He sells out, man. He does. He has a good hard ticket. That's my goal. Is if I if I could be sixty, or if I could if I could do it at, at any number, be selling out theaters by doing me, I'd be a really happy guy. So to see guys like Tommy doing that, that would be, it's really nice because like it's a step into the reality. I always like right now it's like touring and we're driving a van. And it, it hit me when we were in Germany for the first time. It was like. Oh, we're hustling really hard. Like it reminded me, like I remember, like in kindergarten, we all used to have cubbies. Oh. Go put your, and I remember thinking, oh, everyone has the same copy. I deserve a nicer copy than everyone else. And it's like, oh, that was like how you have to start. And it's like right now, I believe, like we go through these phases of life, and it's like you have, I have a starter life. Damn. It's like, oh, I have the starter van. I have a starter venue. Tommy's definitely not at starter. You're not at starter by any means. Mm-mm. And it's like. That's where the tear, that's where the aspiration wants to Yeah. Right so now, who else is started. a great guitarist that you think is? Oh, man. Like Joe Bonamassa is amazing. Do you know him? Yeah. I've met, I think. Can I, he do things you can't do? Yeah. yeah. Can you do what he does? Yeah, especially if I have enough time. Like, do you look at what he does and think, I can never do that? Or does he inspire you? Or do you think? There's some guitar players that I, I, I feel that way. Is he like that? No. No? No. But Has he seen you play? Oh yeah, we smoke cigars together and everything. We've had the whole thing. What does he think? He's really kind. He you really smoke gets weed? It. Yeah, I love weed. That's awesome. Do yeah. you eat it? I don't like eating it so much. Um, it it it's processed by your liver at that point, and there's there's three main different chemicals that come out in your brain that are stronger than THC and and and, and are longer lasting. And it's, it's everything I don't like about cannabis. When I eat it, it comes oh. out. I like smoking it. Yeah, I like oh, smoking you think it's it bad for your out. liver. No, I'm not concerned about my liver. I don't, for I don't eating drink. it, you mean? I don't think it's bad for your liver. No, not at all. Just not good for me. Doesn't make me happy. Gotcha. Yeah. Um. So Joe and you hung out several times. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. How did he meet you? I reached out to him. I'm pretty weird in that way. Like I'll go for it. Like I'll just ask people things. And it's really much on Instagram, and I'll just hit, I'll hit someone up. Just believe I can. Like I've worked hard enough. If I can convince myself that I, yeah. if I hold a conversation with somebody, I'll, I'll reach out to him. Why not? Are you on a label? No, I'm actually going to meet with a label right after this. Oh, cool. What yeah. label? Compass Records. Oh, that's what I'm on. Are you going to meet with Gary? Yeah. And Allison? Maybe. Tell him you're just interviewing me. I will. I'm going to be there. MC at the Folk Alliance When's showcase that? they're doing this weekend. Folk Alliance. I'll be there. You will? Yeah. Are you playing? No. You're just go. going to Folk Alliance? Well, you just said you'll be there, so I gotta, I gotta you go. You should go to Folk Alliance. <laughs> Where, when is it? It's actually New supposed, Orleans to, be, this supposed weekend. to meet them at three. New Orleans this weekend. Um, dude, tell Gary I said yeah. my regards. I love them. I Oh, you're on Compass? Yeah, I'm on Red House. They own Red House and Compass. Red House is the folky, like it's got, it's, it's really cool. Red House is, they bought the label from, it's like a, it's, you should see their history, all the stuff they have. But it's the same thing. They call it Compass Red House. Okay, beautiful. But you would, you will kill it. If you tell him you were just with me, he'll smile. I will. I said hi. We, t- we have a good relationship, so it won't be like, oh, he's a troublemaker or something. No. It's like that time he made toast. 
Yeah, I have good, nothing but good things to say about him. Oh, he's a really? friend. Yeah, right on. I, I well, this was fun. This dude. was real. This was really a beautiful time. <laughs> I know. This is beautiful. I love times like this. This I is do when too. you learn, right? Well, man, thanks. And you did even finish your kale. I know she made me pasta, kale, and almonds. Y'all, I hope this was interesting, intriguing, which might be the same word, but I also hope it was insightful for y'all because it was certainly all of those adjectives for me as well. The music that we heard today for this episode of The Lost Highway was Cumberland Blues by Europe 72, which is my favorite Grateful Dead song right now. And then we had Ballin' on a Wednesday, Steve Poltz. And now we're listening to Hello Trouble by Buck Owens, one of my favorite Bakersfield, California country records. I want to recommend to y'all to go to danieldonato.com to subscribe to the Cosmic Country Club. Free email list with content each month that is exclusive to that club. Check out the Cosmic Country playlist on Spotify, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook. I'm on all those things as well. If you feel like supporting the podcast, get something on the merchandise store on danieldonato.com or danieldonato at Venmo and Patreon. Appreciate y'all so much. Love y'all so much. Y'all stay cosmic. Stay good.